Thanks, Graham. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for being here. We thank you for the joy of the Lord, which is our strength each day. And we pray for your blessing on us as we, we gather around your word and thank you for your goodness to us and giving it to us. And we pray that your mighty Holy Spirit, who is the true author of Scripture, may be the interpreter of its meaning to each of our hearts and lives and needs this day for your glory's sake. Amen. We're going to read from First Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter 3. <coughs> And we're going to read from verse 8 to verse 18. Finally, all of you, live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil, or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing for whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech he must turn from evil and do good he must seek peace and pursue it for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good but even if you should suffer for what is right you are blessed do not fear what they fear do not be frightened but in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have but do this with gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil for Christ died for sins once for all the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God he was put to death in the body but made alive by the Spirit and so we make no excuse today for thinking about the death of the Lord Jesus Christ because Remembrance Sunday is for many folk a remembrance of death what is an evangelical? you ever thought about that? what makes us evangelicals? Well, I take it you are evangelical Christians well Professor David <coughs> his name always escapes me Bebbington, professor of history at uh, Stirling University, defined an evangelical in four ways. He said, an evangelical is first of all biblicist. We believe that this book is not a human production. It's God's holy word inspired and authoritative for all our lives. And then he said, Christians are not only biblicist, he said, Christians are conversionist, evangelical Christians. We believe that there should come a time in our lives when we belong to Christ and commit ourselves to Christ in a special way as our Saviour because we recognise that he died on the cross 
for our sins, for our forgiveness, for our deliverance, for our pardon. Um, and how this happens, it varies enormously. I know a man that got converted through a text in the back of a toilet door. <laughs> and somebody else who came to the Lord through reading a tombstone. <laughs> and all sorts of funny ways in which people got converted. I was talking to a wee man on the phone last night. Um, and how he got converted is a wonderful story. Because uh, he was working as a dishwasher in a restaurant. And sleeping on the floor because he couldn't afford anywhere to live and, the, and he learned all the jobs in the restaurant became the chef and for the first time in his life he bought a suit and he said to a waitress where could I go to show off my suit <laughs> and she said well people that wear suits go to church <laughs> there's a Baptist church just down the hill there so he went down the hill and he heard for the first time that Jesus loved him and he gave his heart to Christ. He's been serving the Lord for about at least 20 years since then. And he's still going strong. We're conversionists. We're biblicists. We're conversionists. Thirdly, <coughs> we're cross-centered. Um, the professor has a, a term for it I'd never heard before. Crucicentric. Oh, how about that, eh? <laughs> Try that, using that one this week. Crucicentric. You see... It means the cross is central in our understanding of the gospel. And it's not the Sermon on the Mount that saves us, although Jesus was the best teacher who ever walked. It's the cross on the hill that saves us. The symbol of Christianity is a cross. It's not a chalkboard. Um, and so the cross is central in our understanding of the gospel. And then uh, the fourth, biblicist, conversionist, cross-centred and activist you know they called the folk at the mission hall where we were converted in Lamb Hill they didn't call them members they called them workers <laughs> and we should all be working for God we have to find out what our gifts are and put them to the service of the Lord Jesus Christ and in most churches just a few folk do the work in the mission we used to have, the first Saturday of every new year, we had what was called the workers' tea. And one of the wise old ladies in the place said, if it really was a workers' tea, we could hold it in the vestry. <laughs> that's true of most churches. <laughs> The the, 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 the the workers in the place are the hardcore, you know, just a, a small section of the church. And so this morning I want to look at the cross, at the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you, my text is verse 18 of First Peter 3. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God he was put to death in the body but made alive by the spirit so we think of sacrifice and heroism and bravery this remembrance Sunday both of my well, my father and my brother were both involved in war and conflicts of various kind when I think of the war I think of my father and I thank my brother, and I thank God that their lives were spared. 
And when we think of the sacrifice and heroism and bravery, we think of the Lord Jesus Christ going to the cross for us. And his death is wonderful. He said, greater love has no man than this. And the man laid down his life for his friends, but he died for his enemies and he didn't deserve to die. He didn't need to die as a result of sin. And Paul said, scarcely for a righteous man would one die. The apostle said, <coughs> but perhaps for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commends, the Greek text is emphatic here, his own brand of love to us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that wonderful? And so we look at this text, and I'll do what the modern preachers say. I'll unpack, unpack, the American preachers say, I'll unpack this verse. Okay? Uh, verse 18. I'll unpack it for you. And I'll unpack it under three headings. Would you believe that? And uh, the first one is the value of Jesus' death. The value of Jesus' death. Christ died for our sins once for all. It's absolutely loaded with truth, that phrase. First of all, the fact of his death. Christ died. It was a decisive act. The fact of his death. It was as real as the death of any great figure of history. In the annals of the Roman Peter, people, Tacitus, uh, father-in-law of Julius Agricola, the, go Agricola, the government of governor of Britain, explained how during the procuratorship of Pontius Pilate, one Crestus was crucified. So it's actually mentioned out with the Bible. It's mentioned in Roman history. He died the fact of his death. We can utterly rely on the evidence of that both in the Bible and out with the Bible secondly he died for sins the fruit of his death lots of people died on a cross um, crucifixion was the ugliest <coughs> awfulest death that anyone could die it came from Iraq originally as far as we know, the practice of crucifixion. And you, you would hear it in the news this week that in Syria, this awful ISIS group are crucifying people. And Jesus died on a cross. Now, people have died in crosses down the centuries in very large numbers, but this death was unique. It was a death for sin. And that marked him out. You see, we deserve to die. It says in Romans 6, 23, we deserve to die for our sins. Every one of us. The wages of sin is death. Sin pays its wages in our lives. And the decaying process begins from the day we were born. But the Lord Jesus Christ never sinned. So the conclusion is he never deserved to die. His death was a voluntary act. A voluntary act. He died for our sins. Paul could never get over it. He wrote to the Galatians, He loved me and gave himself for me. Imagine it. For sins. 
the fact of his death, the fruit of his death, the finality of his death, once for all. That's a great word, you know. And sometimes it occurs quite a lot in the letter to the Hebrews. The normal Greek word for it is hapax. Sometimes in Hebrews it's intensified. When you want to intensify the meaning of something, you stick a preposition in front of it in the Greek quite often. So quite often in Hebrews it's not hapax, it's ephapax. That means definitely once for all. He died once for all. The finality of his death. Of course, Shakespeare put it, you know, there was a tide in the affairs of men which taken at the flood leads on to fortune, you know. He summarised it beautifully in English in one of his plays. And it happened, it happened in history, you know. And so this one act of Jesus on the cross, the finality of his death, he died for sins once for all. What a wonderful saviour we've got. He died on the cross once for all. So that's the first point, the value of Jesus' death. Christ died for sins once for all. The fact of his death, the finality of his death, the fruit of his death. And then there's the virtue of Jesus' death. He says, Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. That's wonderful. It's loaded. Every word of this text is absolutely loaded. It's like it's like some of these. We had Victoria plum trees in the garden in the cottage at Lamb Hill. And there was one summer. They were loaded with fruit. My mother was filling pails full of Victorian plums. We were eating plum jam till it was coming out of her ears. And uh, <laughs> it was loaded. This text is loaded with fruit. The virtue of Jesus' death. First of all, he intervenes for us. The righteous for the unrighteous. That means the righteous instead of the unrighteous. The righteous on behalf of the unrighteous. We are unrighteous. Every one of us has failed. Now you might think you're perfect. You're not. I'm telling you, you're not. And I'm not perfect either. None of us is perfect. We're unrighteous. And when we come before Almighty God, the pure, holy God, how can we ever stand in His sight and be justified if it weren't for what Christ did for us on the cross? He intervenes for us. But you know, you might think, I'm so glad that Jesus didn't go by and leave us in our awful state of rebellion against God. I'm so glad that Jesus stopped and went to the cross and died for us. That's the wonderful meaning of his death. He intervenes for us. And he becomes our mediator. There is one God, the Bible says, and one mediator between God and us, the man Christ Jesus. He died to be our mediator, to take our sin in his own body in the tree and cleanse us and make us presentable to God. Isn't that a wonderful thing? The virtue of his death. He intervenes for us. And then he introduces us 
to bring you to God. And brings them to God. I've met with the Lord. Absolutely wonderful. We Billy Sunday that was a wonderful sports in America and he applied for a job in the YMCA and he gave his testimony uh, as a Christian. And one of the committee said to him, How can you be so sure you're a Christian, you know? I said, Well, I was there when it happened <laughs> and I ought to know. <laughs> and that's what God does. He gives us that's what Jesus does. It gives us a real introduction to God the Father. You know, and I've said I've said once to a congregation, I said, I know some of you here don't like me. Well that's okay, and it hates me, can't be all bad. But <laughs> you know what I'm gonna tell you? <laughs> Jesus loves me. The greatest thing I ever discovered was Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. That's the greatest thing. To know that Jesus intervenes for us. And that part of the value of his death is also that he introduces us to God. And the Holy Spirit comes into our lives. You, you can't be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. It's impossible to live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. Jesus said you must be born again. By the Holy Spirit. And you come into a new relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit makes Jesus a reality to you. So look again to the mirror, Paul says, and being transformed into that image from one degree of glory to another, even as by the Spirit of the Lord, being metamorphosed is the Greek word. Um, the virtue of Jesus' death. He died for sins once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. Here's the third thing. The victory in Jesus' death. Did you know it was a triumphal act? The death of Jesus on the cross. Um, my pupils got this stuff the wrong way around. They used to always think they would be win sympathy from me. They used to watch... They used to put on Jesus of Nazareth on the television every Easter. Remember? And used to say, I saw that film about Jesus at Easter time, sir, when I come back after the holiday, you know. And they would say, I was really sorry for him. If I'd been there, I would have stuck up for him. You know? And actually, they viewed the death of the Lord Jesus as a tragic accident. And here's what Paul says about it, if I can find it. It says, He forgave us all our sins. He says, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. You know, the devil thought he'd won. <laughs> he thought he'd won when Jesus died. And uh, there used to be an old Irish evangelist, W.P. Nicholson, but he envisaged the devil in his card school, all playing cards, and I'm like, get rid of that guy, come on, let's have a game of cards. And he <laughs> 
and suddenly the door burst open and Jesus walked in and declared his victory to hell, to the devil and to his minions and that's what Paul says here he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them in the cross there's vindication there because when the Lord Jesus Christ was on earth they said all sorts of things about him that were wrong I jotted a few down on a piece of paper if you don't mind this is John's gospel they said God wasn't his father he was they said he didn't come down from heaven he did these are all references from John's gospel they said he deceived the people he didn't told them the truth they, they said he was demon possessed he wasn't he was full of the Holy Spirit from the day of his birth they said his testimony was invalid it wasn't he said he was a sinner he wasn't they said he was a blasphemer he wasn't and Jesus reversed all these verdicts there was vindication here and there was identification here as well you know First Peter they said he was put to death in the body but made alive in the spirit you know in his death there's victory and in his death there's vindication in his, in his death there's identification he died for us and, he, and Paul argues very convincingly in Romans that because he rose we shall rise too and when well I was I wasn't at a graveside I had a, a cremation this week but when you stand at an open grave there's a big difference between standing at the open grave of a Christian and somebody as far as you know who did not know Christ personally there was a famous soprano singer Australian I think Joan Sutherland and she used to sing uh, the text from Job 19.25 I know that my Redeemer lives <clears throat> and that he's, he will stand at the latter day upon the earth and though worms destroy this body yet in my flesh shall I see God and they said how can you sing that so convincingly she was wonderful at singing that she said well I think I'm standing at the grave of a dead relative and my hope is in Christ and that's what we say here's the victory in Christ's death there's vindication in it there's identification in it and there's resurrection in it because he died we have hope and forgiveness and cleansing and deliverance because he rose again we have hope that goes beyond death isn't that wonderful you know I wonder an old lady in uh, Inverness so she was tough as old boot uh, Jay Sutherland I, I used to upset her because she had a big beautiful bungalow and the name of it was Belmont you know and, and when she opened the door I used to say to her and Belmont is a lady richly left and she is fair and fairer than that word of wondrous beauty I used to quote the merchant of Venice think, please could you be quiet and come in <laughs> she used to say now make you some tea and calm you down <laughs> she was dying of cancer and the 
the consultant was sort of trying to find words to explain to her that she didn't have long to live in this earth. And she said, come on, doctor. Tell me, I'm ready to go and meet the Lord Jesus. And he said to her, Oh, Mrs. J. What did I say? Sutherland. Oh, Mrs. Sutherland. You must have a strong faith. And she said, Oh, no, sir. But I've got a strong God. <laughs> I thought that was a wonderful answer to give to the man. I don't have a strong faith, but I do have a strong God who sent Christ to die for me and raised him from the dead to give me hope of resurrection too. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the wonderful truths of the gospel and we love to, we love to think of the Lord Jesus dying for us he died that we might be forgiven. He died to make us good, that we might go at last to heaven, saved by his precious blood. So help us to go in the strength of that many days, for Jesus' sake. Amen.